So they think they're being conservative if they're buying a 40-year-old C property in a suburban market at a five cap and then saying, okay, well, if I, I'm going to exit in five years, so I'll exit at a five and a half cap. It's really unrealistic. I cannot believe that we are already in this far into August and coming up to the Raising Money Summit. It's only a few weeks away. I've got a bunch of amazing speakers and I want you to hear from them now. So check out what a couple of them are going to be speaking about at the Raising Money Summit. And I'll see you there October 3rd, 4th and 5th. Hi, I'm Gene Trowbridge and I'm really excited about being at Adam Adams' uh, presentation on October 3rd through the 5th. I gotta tell you something that's happening to me that I'm gonna talk about when I'm at that presentation. I go to um, all sorts of events. I'm one of the preeminent uh, securities attorneys in the country and people stop by my booth and they pick up a business card. Two days later, I get a solicitation from them to invest in their deal. That's totally illegal. I need to tell you about how you should not do that. My best legal advice to you is don't do that. You don't have a pre-existing relationship with me. You don't have a substantive relationship with me. I'm gonna talk about all that. And it's not just me you're soliciting illegally. It's all the other people that you haven't built the right foundation with before you go ahead and ask them to invest. So be sure to be there early on the first day to hear me talk about this because I'm going to keep you out of trouble and then be there at the end of the last day where Jillian Sidoti, my partner, is going to give you a rock star performance that you cannot afford to miss. So I'll see you in Denver October 3rd through the 5th. Thanks. Hi, everyone. This is Pili Yerusi from Yerusi Holdings. I am so honored to be speaking at the Raising Money Summit coming up in October. Um, at the summit, I'm going to talk to you about how focus gives you more success and how your passive investors will see that and trust you even more because of that, because you have the focus. I mean, all of us know that as investors, if we see that our fellow, inve fellow investor is focused, is clued into exactly what they want and how they're going to get it, we see that and we are attracted to that. So, I mean, think, of the, think about that in the passive investor side. They know what they're looking for and they see it in you if they see the focus in you. And finding this focus was really, really difficult. Jason and I, my husband and I, went from A to B, which was me getting my real estate license. We started flipping and wholesaling. And I found out that flipping and wholesaling, at least for us, was a job. We weren't investing our time wisely. But we learned how to do real estate. We learned more about the business doing that. We got into small multifamilies. We found a couple in, in Indiana that gave us permission to look out of state, look further than than our hometown with, within like that 30 minute circumference that we were driving to, to do our flips. We found that permission to look further. So from that, Jason saw the possibility of going bigger. Of course, at that point, I was like, oh no, I don't, I can't, let me, let me just focus in on this. Let me, we'll do our flipping and wholesaling and we'll do our small multifamily, but doing a hundred units 
500 units at a time. Wait, what? That's actually possible? And we found out that it was. So a year, two years later, we're trying to do everything at once and we just, we just figured out that we can't. And we came to the decision that we're not going to do that anymore. We started dismantling our other businesses and we focused on multifamily and we are on the way up because of it. And I want to show you exactly how we did it and our story that drove us to the point that we are at now where we are all in on multifamily, on large multifamily and finding and offering people the opportunity to join us. So again, this is Pili Yarusi for the Raising Money Summit. So honored to be going there and so honored to meet you. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by realbluespruce.com. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam A. Adams, and today I'm with Jonathan Twombly, the legend, the man, the myth, the legend, Jonathan Twombly. If you haven't seen his Facebook group, you need to join it today. You got to go and join this Facebook group. I believe it's a closed Facebook group. But if you're legit, he'll let you in. And there's a lot of networking happening over there. So that's fantastic. Uh, a little bit about Jonathan is that he's been syndicating, like actively buying deals. The, his first one was over five years ago. It was in 2014. Syndicated a deal back then, syndicated another one, syndicated another one. And another one, he actually is looking at the market. He's one of those geeks, if you will, who focuses on all the data, all the details, and makes accurate, positive decisions based on that. So you're going to learn a lot from him today. We're going to ask him, why exactly are you staying out of the, and hi, hi Mitch Conrad, he's commenting on Facebook, saying hi to us. Why, Jonathan, are you staying out of the market right now? Why did you just sell all of your, pro your properties for a giant profit just now? And I think we're going to learn a little bit from you today. So, Jonathan, if you could just give us a little bit of the background of why you got into real estate, why you got into multifamily, and then we'll start the questions. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, really enjoyed having you on my show a couple months ago and been looking forward to being on yours. So thanks for inviting me in and introducing me to your audience. Um, let's see. So as far as me getting started is concerned, I had been interested in real estate probably since I was a kid, but never really thought it was something that, you know, I could do for a living. I, I, I my, my interest in real estate was like, you know, Oh, that, look at these cool houses or whatever, you know, and it wasn't something I thought I, I realized like you could actually do this as a profession. So I went, became a lawyer. I was working as a wall street lawyer for uh, about a decade um, here in New York city. And I probably, I'd say after about the third year was really burned out and really looking to do something else. And I couldn't really figure out what, what that was. Um, you know, I kind of slogged it out for another nine years and during, uh, towards the end of that time, you know, I sort of made it through the great financial crisis and, and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, but about 2011, it became pretty clear to me that I was kind of like playing out the end of the string at law. Like I wasn't interested in it anymore. The work had kind of dried up because of the financial crisis. And, you know, my firm frankly kept me on a lot longer than I expected them to. Um, but finally they said, you know, it's time to part ways. And I was fine with that because I was done. And I had been looking at trying to get into some kind of investment field 
whether it was like equities analysis or, or real estate or something, and was just running into that, having the same conversation with people over and over and over again, which was, you know, Jonathan, at your age and with your background, like it's just going to be really difficult for you to break into this field. And especially now when there's like 10,000 guys on the street who just lost their, lost their jobs, who've been doing this for 15 or 20 years, and you're competing with all of them and you have no experience. Like your only shot at getting into this field is if somebody just takes a liking to you and says, Hey, become my partner. And to make a very long story short, that's exactly what happened. I was doing a lot of networking and ran into this woman who was starting up a real estate investment business. I didn't know it at the time. She wanted to do a syndication business. I had no idea what syndication. I, I literally had nothing. I had no idea what, what was happening. I, I thought, honestly, that when we got into this, that we were going to be looking to buy like brownstones in Brooklyn, right, and renovate them or something. That's, that's somehow, you know, in the whole conversation, like, we were having two conversations about real estate. She was talking about syndication, but she never mentioned that. I was talking about real estate investment. I thought we were talking about the same thing. When we finally got together, she, she said, oh no, we're gonna be buying these 100 unit deals in like Louisiana and Texas. And I was like, what? Like, how do, how do you do that? <laughs> you know, um, we started chasing some deals down there. And I, I, got, I got sort of, you know, a lot of people come into this business and they're like, they're desperate to get in. They like really want, you know, and they go buy a single family house and then they do well with that. And they go buy a duplex and they kind of build up from there. And then they discover syndication. I came in through this really bizarre route where like, you know, I joined this, my first partner, she's like, we're doing syndications. And I'm like, ah, like, what does that mean? And then I'm talking to my other friends and I'm like, should I join, should I join this woman in this business? And they were like, well, if you do, I'm going to give you a million dollars. Literally, I'm going to give you a million dollars if you, not you personally, but I will invest a million dollars with you if you do this. And I'm like, okay, I guess I should try this thing. Right? It wasn't like I had the money to do it myself, um, but you know, I had made these, these long relationships over the course of my life with people who happened to have the money. You know, and they, it was a classic situation. They had other careers, other things that they were doing. They didn't want to invest in real estate themselves. They were, saw that I was interested in it. They said, okay, well, this is a perfect marriage. Like I've got the money, you've got you'll have the expertise someday and I'm willing to take a chance now because I know you. So let's, let's bring this together. So that's, I know I went in a little too long, but that's how I actually got into syndication. No, I'm actually grateful that you shared the detail that you did. Um, it really helps understand exactly where you were as you were kind of getting into it. I love the part where you really shared that a lot of people are doing, you know, single family and then, and then they're like, Oh my gosh, I, I, I did well. I'm going to, I'm going to do a duplex. And, and they're like, holy cow, I just did a multifamily. And they're like, I'm going to do a fourplex. I'm going to do a sixplex. And um, it, that path can, can take a long, long time. It's a good path, but it yeah. can just take a long, long time. And you did it a little bit differently. You kind of found a way to go around and get right into syndication. So really, it seems like what you're saying is maybe one of the first transactions that you did it within real estate was actually a syndication. Yeah. Listen, I mean, the first deal I did that I finally got done, I mean, I had two in contract that fell out of, we lost the financing on them from the bank. So we had to, we had to cancel the contract. Then we broke up the partnership and I went out on my own. Um, but I still had those friends who still wanted to invest with me. And so the very first deal that I ever did was a hundred unit, 102 unit deal in South Carolina with just one investor in the deal. Um, but that was, you know, 
I had learned how to do that from those few that we had chased down in Louisiana. Like basically took the process essentially all through due diligence and everything and then got dinged by the bank at kind of the last minute. Um, so I had been through the process. So I knew what, I kind of knew what I was doing, sort of. You know, I knew part of what I was doing, um, the syndication part of it. I didn't know anything about operating the property. That became a whole other problem <laughs> later on. But um, yeah, so I, I did jump into it with both feet. But I, I have to emphasize that like, th this wasn't intentional. Like I didn't say, hey, I'm going to start out my career syndicating a 100-unit deal. Like I, I, I was very fortunate to be in that situation and also totally ignorant. Like I, like honestly didn't, I didn't, like I said, I didn't know what I was getting into when I first got into it. I just fell into the situation where this former partner said, I'm starting this business. I think you look like you'd be good at raising money. I'm going to focus on the property side. And I was like, okay, we'll, we'll see how it goes. So. Yeah, it's incredible. And yeah. and just for a couple of the listeners, I mean, I mean, I might be talking directly to you, Mr. Mr. Listener, is um, you're thinking, uh, yeah, 102 units, I'd like to do that. I don't have, you know, what it takes. I don't have enough money. I don't have this. I don't have that. But, you know, Jonathan figured out a way. He said, let's just get it done. Let's go straight to this 102. And just by asking the right question, how can I he was able to actually solve the problem and get in on a, a 102 unit building. How much did it cost you when you purchased that, that first syndication? That was 4.1 million. And did you sell it for a, a major profit? Yeah. I mean, we sold it, you know, so that property, and we can talk about this later when we talk about sort of where the market is, but you know, that, that property honestly had a, because it was, I was new. I didn't really know what I was doing and made a lot of mistakes the, the property didn't wind up performing all that well, but we wound up selling it for 5.6 million just you know, a couple of years later. So we wound up making a decent profit on it. You know, the investor was happy and that, you know, that was the most important thing. So even though, even though the property really underperformed what we thought it was gonna do, look, you know, the market has gone up and that's, uh, you know, if you were in it at the right time, you look like a genius, right? And if you're in it at the wrong time, you might be a genius, but you might wind up looking like a fool. So that's why paying attention to the market is really important. Um, but we were lucky, I'll be honest with you. Like we were very lucky with that property that we got in when we did and we were able to get out when we did. Love it, love it. So let's go, let's really dive in then to the timing of the market mm -hmm. and why you're intentionally sitting on the sidelines in 2019. So I, you know, came out pretty aggressively once we finally started closing deals uh, in 2014, pretty aggressively, you know, did, the, did four deals in about 11 months and then ran into this issue like 2015, 2016, where we, I just noticed the pricing just really suddenly skyrocketing, right? You know, we had been able to go and you know, 2013, 2014, 2015, looking at deals that, you know, buying like a deal from a rehabber, like, you know, a deal that had turnkey with nothing to do on it at an eight cap, right? All we had to do is just buy it and run it. And, and it was going to spin out, you know, an eight cap right away to suddenly, you know, having brokers bring us like completely hush hush off the market deals that nobody else was seeing and like, you know, we knew that the market was going up, but it, 
it was it's just suddenly accelerated to where you know I was bidding on deals and like feeling so uncomfortable when I put in my LOI because I knew I was stretching a bit and like my first thought would be like oh god I hope they don't accept that because I was like afraid of how aggressive I'd been and then the answer coming back like you're 20% below what we're looking for in this deal and we know we can get it and that was a real wake up call to me that the market was getting very frothy and it just it just became really hard to to do deals the way that we wanted to do them and and I wasn't taking on a lot of risk like I wasn't doing major repositionings or anything like that where I was trying to you know raise the rents by 200 bucks you know we were looking for for those mom and pop deals where we could just run it better and you know my uh, my kind of my style my philosophy was you know try to buy a bunch of them together that are nearby each other so you can run them together and get some efficiency that way that that model just sort of stopped working um, because there people were just paying willing to pay more and more and more for property and you start getting down to like you know six caps it becomes very hard to to make money doing that right and there's just very little room for error and um and then you know you start getting down to even deals are trading at five caps you know for like 1970s product and sub, the suburban areas of tertiary markets it's just the pricing is kind of nuts you know so that as someone who's fundamentally conservative to begin with when it comes to investing i just started getting really really uncomfortable with the pricing and feeling like uh you know the market was out of whack to be honest with you let me let me challenge you just on one thing mm-hmm. um and really you know get a good dialogue going back and forth on that um so the prices are high they're overinflated um sellers want too much brokers are helping them get that extra 20% above what you'd even be willing to pay so is there still a way for for you to you know direct market direct to a seller and maybe get it for a price that does actually make sense for your metrics? I mean, there probably were, you know, there probably, <clears throat> there probably were sellers that you could ferret out of the woodwork. Uh, but I just honestly wasn't set up to do that. And it struck me as, you know, yeah, there probably are deals like that out there, but the amount of effort that it would take to find them, just struck me as being too much when, you know, just a year or two before I could get deals that made complete sense just from brokers, right? And brokers would, would do the work of like finding those deals for you. And that's what I was experiencing. And brokers are really putting deals together off market with sellers that they might be interested in selling and, you know, bringing stuff that they knew fit my, my profile. Um, But, you know, I was a little bit skeptical about, uh, like how many sellers would be out there who were really sort of, I guess, for lack of a better term, sort of dumb sellers, like people who didn't know what their properties were worth. I know that there are some out there, but I think they're really, really, really hard to find. Love it. Love it. So th- it makes a lot of sense. It's, it's trying to determine whether or not putting forth that extra amount of effort and the team together and all the calling and the, and the mail um, to, to see if you can get one of those deals and not necessarily pull wool over a seller's eyes exactly, but get that property for what you actually think it's worth, not what the crazy people are 
spending on them these days. Is right. that okay? Perfect. Yeah, yeah, and and look, I mean, I was I was also skeptical, right or wrong. I mean, because I was getting those letters all the time, like constantly, you know, and I was just you know throwing them in the trash as soon as I got them, um, because also like my perception was. From, from like being on both the seller and the buyer side, like my perception as a seller was like, ah, this is just some guy who's just going to try to lowball me and I don't want to waste my time dealing with mm. this person. So um, like, I don't even want to start a conversation with them. If I want to sell my property, I'm just going to go to a broker and just get and start an auction process and get people to overpay. So why would I bother talking to this person? So I kind of felt like, I, there would be, you know, 99.9% .9 of the people that would get a, 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 a letter from me would feel the same way. And, and who knows, you might even like, I'm sure that, I'm, I guarantee you that there are people who got letters like that who weren't thinking of selling and then pick up the phone and call the broker, right? After getting those letters, because the, the, that put the idea into their head. They didn't call the guy who sent them the letter. You know, I know, I, I mean, I hear success stories and know people have done this. So I'm not saying like, don't do it, but I, what I always tell people like in my program is like, hey, you can do this. You can go and you can hire somebody to send out letters for you, but you have to be prepared to spend a lot of money and spend a lot of time and, be, and it's a numbers game. Like, so you're hoping for that one, that needle in the haystack that you hit, but you got to be prepared to wait for a long time. And I just felt like it wasn't, that just wasn't the way I wanted to do things. So we were speaking at the beginning when we were really just doing the pre-interview today. And um, some of the things that I shared with you is just uh, the respect that I have for what you've been doing so far, what you, what I, well, I see your, your Facebook group and the success that it has. I see your, it's called the multifamily, I believe, launchpad uh, that you have. Is that right? The multifamily so, launchpad? Yeah. So the, the free Facebook group is called multifamily investment community. And then I have a paid program. It's inside a paid a private Facebook group. And then I have a whole course that goes with it. That's called multifamily launchpad. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, we were just kind of, I was talking to you a little bit about that and I love your podcast. I love the value that you're putting out. One of my favorite things that I, I haven't yet talked to you about is the brilliance of, of running a business like this and, and having, you know, your um, opinion, your, which, which everybody has a unique opinion of everything, right? And so, uh, one of my favorite things that you have done is actually been active to let people know your belief system around the market today. And what I love about that is it really translates for anybody listening or watching this Facebook right now, for anybody listening it's really a, a, a target of doing exactly what Jonathan is doing. And that is to be you, be different, share, share with everybody exactly what you're doing and why. And, you know, some people are going to absolutely agree with your philosophy and they're going to want to follow you and partner with you and do what you're doing. Um, I've talked to other people at different events and they came up to me and they were like, Adam, I want to, I don't want to own real estate the way all of you guys do. I want to start uh, buying a property and actually holding it for like 20 or 30 years and just like paying it off and keeping the cash flow. And I was just like, I would never do that. I would never want to 
just pay things off. I feel like the money is a lot better off by getting re-put into other properties. I believe that every property has a market uh, a cycle and you're mm-hmm. going to have to start replacing things. And I believe every market has a cycle. And I, I believe that it's a good thing to get in and out in five years. And, and they don't. That, that one person at this event is talking about, I really want to find investors that would partner with me forever. And I said, I think you can do that. Do what Jonathan's done. Start a Facebook uh, group. Start your education and start uh, preparing your passive investors for keeping their money into a deal for 20, 30 years and 10, 31-ing. It's, it's not my model, but a lot of investors, passive investors are probably going to want to do that. Just because you don't see a lot of other syndicators doing exactly that doesn't mean you shouldn't do that. And now let's transition to exactly what Jonathan's doing and and why I love it. Um, So I'm buying right now. I'm purchasing properties right now and I'm trying to be conservative. And Jonathan's distinguishing himself and I love it. He's sharing why the market is doing what it's doing, why he's not getting into there. He's helping to actually bring along some passive investors. Passive investors start to see the brilliance of, hey, why not wait until it's a downturn? it's safer, you know, things like that. And, and he's doing this on a massive basis through his, his uh, Facebook, his, um, his podcast, his online, um, his educational program. Whereas when it comes to the day that the market does correct, Jonathan's going to have millions and millions and millions of dollars ready to be involved into that exact process. So I hope you learned a little bit from there, but let's, let's talk to Jonathan and just talk um, right now about is there, first question, is there some key metrics that really show that the market's overpriced and we're better off waiting? And then the second thing that I would really like to dive into is, is you, from your perspective, why you started your Facebook podcast and coaching program. Sure. Well, I mean, the first, the first thing that you asked, why do I think the market is overvalued? I mean, you, you just, if you look at where cap rates are right now, uh, as compared to where they are sort of typically, right? You know, typically when you're looking at, you know, C-class suburban property in the South, which is what I look at, you know, historically it's trading at like an eight or a nine cap, right? Because people, the thought process is there's a lot of deferred maintenance on these properties. Uh, the tenant base is, let's say, it, they, they don't have a lot of cushion, right? I mean, they're, they're vulnerable to, the most vulnerable to any kind of economic shift to the winds, you know. So you got to have a higher cap rate to compensate you for that risk. When you see, you know, so, so people were saying, you know, if I'm going to part with a dollar, I want to get eight or nine cents back every year in return. Now, though, people are, it's the same dollar and the same tenant base and the same property. And they're saying, well, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll take five cents, right? And that's, that is an indicator to me that the market has become too, too hot, right? And it's, it's, and it's not, it's not based on anything underlying. Like people can give you all kinds of, they'll say, well, the, unemployment is at an all time low and, you know, interest rates are low and all those things are true. The, the problem is none of that is going to be sustained, right? Because that, that that's, it's all at the top of the cycle, right? There's no, all the downside 
all the risk right now is to the downside in my view right so if you're if you're in my view if you're buying now you're really hoping for like it to just stay at the top for as long as possible so that you can like execute your rehab program you know before it starts trending down and and to me that's like taking on a lot of risk right um i i just you know, my, my philosophy is like really trying to avoid downside risk, less than thinking about what the upside possibilities are, trying to eliminate the downside risk. And I just see like the risk now is not that I'm going to miss out, but the risk is that I'm going to jump in and then I'm going to lose equity as a result of it, right? And, you know, what's going into that whole decision process of like, you know, I'm, I'm willing to only take five cents in return on that dollar, whereas I used to need eight, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, people are kind of projecting the present great times into the future indefinitely. And if you, if you just look at markets, like you just know they don't, they don't last indefinitely. And we, we've been in this weird situation where, I mean, the market really peaked about 2016 and instead of falling, it's just sort of stayed there, right? It's sort of, it's bizarre. It's just sort of leveled out of this plateau. And I think it's really supported by a lot of cheap money and, once that cheap money dries out or, or that cheap money stops being effective, you're going to have a lot of risks to the downside. And, and I think that the cracks are starting to show, right? I mean, this expansion has been going on a very long time. The, the real estate boom has been going on for a very long time. And these things eventually just sort of run out of gas. You know, they're just running the gas, but like when they're getting weak, when they're sort of getting to the end, then something will come out of left field and cause the whole thing to collapse and you never see it coming. And it's always really at the time when, you know, if you go back and read, you know, you'd find this interesting, go back and read sometime what people were saying uh, about real estate in 2007, right? Or about the stock market in, 2000, in like 1999, 2000. What they were saying was exactly the same stuff they're saying now. The future is bright, this is gonna go on forever. There's, there, there's no chance of a crash. Right. That's that's what when people start saying there's no chance of a crash. It's usually to me, it's like that's essentially saying the crash is coming. Right. It's when markets get complacent and people start. Stop being conservative and uh, that's the time when you really have to watch out. So for me, I, I'm very anxious about getting back in to the market right now because I feel like. The the risks are just too great. People think I'm nuts because they look around and they're like, look, every, you know, like every store I walk by has got a, for, a you know, a help wanted sign outside. It's, it's true. It's true. But you're paying for that. Those are people that have to understand. Like you're paying for that great performance right now. And I would much rather be buying real estate when everybody's like saying, oh, real estate's terrible. It's a rigged game. You can't make money doing it, you know, and cap rates are going up to like 10% for the same properties, you know, and then, you know, occupancy is at 90% rather than 97%. Like that's when you're, you can build in a lot of value on your buy. Right. So, and when I got started, that's what people were talking about. That's kind of where the market was back in 2011. So I've seen it go through the whole, this whole upswing and then just seeing how the, the, the players in the market kind of like change their tune depending on where you are in the cycle, even though, yeah, they're they're just changing what they talk about and how they talk about it, but the the these, the fundamental assets haven't really changed. Awesome, a lot of really cool insight, and I really appreciate it. And I know there's going to be 
several people watching that really resonate with that. So at, in the, at the end, I'll definitely want to have you um, share the, your best contact, how they can really find you. Um, why don't you, why don't you talk about this, um, sitting on the sideline today, you know, what, what made you decide to do your Facebook group, your podcast, Mm -hmm. and even the group coaching program that you've been running and helping a lot of people, what made you decide to do that? How does it benefit your business? Yeah. So I started the Facebook group and the podcast because I I had one deal that I couldn't close. It was a great deal, right? And I couldn't close it because my my big investors were out. They had, for various reasons, you know, had nothing to do with the deal. They're just like, look, I'm not going to participate this time. And the small investors just weren't enough of them, right, to get the deal closed. And I realized at that time I hadn't spent enough time building the investor base, right? It's just been really too reliant on a couple of friends who could write big checks and, you know, other people, you know, other investors that came along, but, you know, I was really still dependent on these, these big guys to kind of pick up whatever didn't get sold to the small guys. So I realized it really had to, it was like a big wake up call for me and I had to get my, my butt in gear. So I was trying to figure out what I should do. Um, and the, the podcast, I'd had another podcast before um, on the capitalism.com network and that, that was great, but I, they were very, you know, it was their brand and they wanted it done certain ways and it wasn't focused on real estate. And it didn't feel like it was building my business enough. So I decided to launch my own where I could talk about real estate all the time, you know, advertise, advertise my stuff, promote myself more. Uh, and the Facebook group, you know, I hired a marketing consultant and she said, you got to start a Facebook group. And I was like, why? Like, why? Why would I do that? And she said, look, it's just, it's going to be your fishing hole. And I was very, I was very skeptical of the idea at first, but it's turned out to be just terrific. I mean, just, you know, the people I've met, and I, I think I met you through my Facebook group. I mean, like the networking has been really incredible and it's been a great place for me to be bringing people onto my platform. You know, I, now I've got several hundred people who have signed up to invest with me, right? I've got a much bigger list of people um, that are, you know, are kind of like with me. And, I mean, I'm not saying they're all on the sidelines. I know a lot of them are investing in other syndications as well right now, but, um, but they also, you know, they like my philosophy. So they want to participate when I'm back in the market. And it's been just really, both of those have been really good platforms for just getting the name out there. Uh, in terms of the coaching, you know, it's funny, like this is actually something that I had in mind almost from the first day that I got into the business. Cause the very first day, you know, one of the first things I did when I got into the business was that my old partner, uh, was a mentoring student of mentor X and, uh, she gave me all of his material to, to listen to, right? And when I was listening to it, at first I was very, I was like, oh, this is going to be like some late night TV guru guy who, you know, it's like all BS. But actually the program was quite good. I was actually very pleasantly surprised by the, the quality of the material. But I, I thought like, well, this, the price of this is really ridiculous. Like I just don't understand why they're charging so much 
for this material. And then once I got into the business, I realized that, wow, there was just like that program didn't even scratch the surface of all the stuff that I had to deal with. I was totally blindsided. Like it wasn't super, it was a good like introduction to like the overview of like how you syndicate a deal, but just left so much detail out. And there were so many things that I didn't, that I just got whacked up outside the head with. So, um, I, I, uh, really had it in mind from very early that I wanted to do a really high quality program at a, like a really reasonable price that more people could access and just without all of like the negative stuff that you hear a lot about from some of the, you know, the less reputable guru guys out there who like, you know, just upselling people, these ridiculous programs and then not letting them out and, you know, or you know, refunding only half their money if they try to just crazy stuff, which I feel is really unethical. Like I wanted to do something that people would feel really good about, that, that the quality would be really high, that would like leave no stone unturned. I wanted to make sure that nobody got blindsided by the same stuff that I got blindsided by. I just really wanted to like turn all of my experience into something that would be really helpful for people, and and that, that you know in in a and delivered in a way that just I could sleep at night delivering it. So that, that was, what, and I'm sort of like, I I'd said to you on the, you know, when we were warming up for the call that I'm like really a natural teacher. Like I had wanted to be a college professor and actually, you know, had gone and kind of made some steps toward that at one point. And I just liked teaching people. You know, when I was a lawyer, my, my favorite thing about that job was when I got to advise clients, you know, just like teaching them about kind of where, what their position, what, when, you know, what their rights were and what their, legal position was like, I really enjoyed that part of it. And I really, as you can see in the Facebook group, the free one, I mean, I just like giving people advice and helping them. It's just sort of what I do. So I wanted to do that in a little bit more of a systematic way, you know? So that was how, that was where that came from. Love it. All right. So we have a couple of questions that came in on the Facebook live that we'll mm -hmm. go ahead and um, see if you could answer for us right now. Sure. The first one is, how extreme should I take what you're telling me? You know, how extreme should I take this? Do I need to fully go onto the sidelines or just make sure that my underwriting is more conservative? And they're asking, is Jonathan buying anything right now or after a huge sale recently, congrats, are you literally just putting that money aside and buying zero? Because the better move is to buy at a lower price in three years and get that zero cash flow in the meantime. Like I said before, we talked about the fact that there, there probably are still some deals out there that are very hard to find. Um, I think being conservative in your underwriting is, is necessary, and you have to make sure that you're actually being conservative, though. And I, what, what I see happen is sometimes I, have, I tell clients, like, hey, if you're thinking of investing in a deal and you just really want a second set of eyes on it, I'm happy to look it over and just give you some thoughts. And I, I never make a recommendation one way or other, but I'll just point out stuff that that strikes me as weird and, and what i see in a lot of deals is a lot of stretching right and i and i'm sure that what happens because i know how this works because like when you underwrite a deal you know i've i've done like 20 30 versions of underwriting on a deal right like every new piece of information that comes in you do a new underwriting right and it becomes very easy like especially when the market is rising to be like, well, yeah, I think I can shave a little off here. I can add a little here, right? And 
if you do it once, it's okay. But if you, when, after you've done it 20 times, it doesn't, the deal on your underwriting doesn't resemble the actual deal at all anymore. Mm. So you have to be careful about that. By now, you should know that one of the biggest things that brings me joy and happiness is to meet listeners of the show. That's why I do so many live events. I definitely want to meet you if, you, if you'd like to meet me and some of our speakers, some of our presenters that come to the Raising Money Summit. And just to name a few, we've got Corey Peterson, Jason and Peely Yarusi, Michael Blanc, Michael Becker, Adam Adams, Ellie Perlman, Kathy Fedke, Maureen Miles, Jillian Sadoti, Gene Trowbridge, Alina Trigab, Todd Dexheimer, Ramakrishna, Jeremy Roll, Chris Clothier, Matt Terrio, and Mark and Tamil Kenny. It's going to be awesome. I'll see you on October 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Just go to RaisingMoneySummit.com. And then if you want a big discount, just put in podcast because my podcast listeners get a giant discount because I am hosting that event. I'll see you October 3rd, 4th, and 5th. The other thing that I see people doing is they're, they're being conservative in following that underwriting metric of like, you know, if you're plotting out your exit cap rate, you do 10 basis points per year of hold, right? That's like the st- what you're taught for, uh, for underwriting, right? So whatever, you know, if you go in at an eight, you exit at an eight and a half, you know, going into five, exit at five and a half. The idea behind that is that, you know, the property is going to be five years older. You should account for the fact that it's going to be older on the exit. You won't get as much, right? But the problem with that rule is that <laughs> that rule is aimed at kind of like the midpoint in the cycle. It's a rule of thumb. It's not, it's not a law. Right. And I think a lot of people are being very conservative. So they think they're being conservative if they're buying a 40 year old C property in a suburban market at a five cap and then saying, okay, well, if I, I'm going to exit in five years, so I'll exit at a five and a half cap. It's really unrealistic. You don't, five years is like the same, the same as forever. You don't know what, where the world is going to be in five years. Right. I mean, seriously. The United States might not exist in five years. Like, I, I, you know, like, I mean, probably, probably it is, right? I think probably all of us would, would say it will, but you don't know. Like, you don't know that, right? You don't know what's going to happen in five years. So to say that, oh, I'm going to exit at a five and a half, like the, which is assuming that this market is going to continue the way it is for five more years, it's not conservative. Conservative is to say, okay, I, don't, I have no idea what the world is going to look like. So the safe assumption is I'm going to exit this deal at the long-term cap rate for this asset which is probably more like an eight, right? Not a five and a half. If you do it at an eight, the deal doesn't work. And that's, I'm seeing that a lot. You know, I'm seeing like, so they're exiting, people are plotting these exit cap rates and they're justifying it to themselves as like, I'm being conservative because I added 10 basis points a year. But the problem is maybe they'll get lucky and they'll exit at a five and a half. I just don't think that they will. So, I mean, I looked at a deal once where the, the sponsor is just overwhelmed their clients with information, so much information, so many different underwriting scenarios. But one of the things I realized was that the highest exit cap rate that they calculated was 6.25, right? And this is like a, like a 1970s deal. They were going to rehab it and everything, but still 6.25 was the highest. They did like five or six different exit scenarios. 6.25 was the highest that they, they underwrote. So I just figured what happens if you start plugging in some higher cap rates here? Not even eight, like just a little bit higher. When you got up to 6.75, they were losing money on the deal on the exit. I mean, losing money, like impairing capital, right? So I think that 
people need to be aware of that kind of stuff. So yes, be conservative, but like actually be conservative, like be really conservative. And I think people should be considering going in at lower levels of leverage. If you look at like what the big institutional buyers are doing, like they're not, they're not stopping buying they're not on the sidelines, but they're also not buying at, you know, 75% leverage. They're buying at 55, 60% leverage because they know that what's going to happen is they're going to take a hit and they need that equity cushion. Right now, for people like you and me, we may not be able to raise an extra, you know, 10 or 15 percentage points of equity on a deal to get that cushion. And if we did, the returns are not going to look that great. Right. So people don't want to do it. They want to push that LTV, but that's not necessarily like going to get you through the, uh, the, the correction when it happens. So, so do you have to stay on the sidelines like me? No, like I, I, I am on probably on the extreme end of conservatism. I, I, I know that, but, um, but I think you need to be wary. Like, and, and I think that people, especially if you're a passive LP right now, you need to really be digging into the assumptions that, that people are making in, in the syndication deals. And there's a lot of new syndicators out there. There's a lot of first timers out there. I mean, you have to, it's just a time to be careful. The time when everybody's saying it's great is, you know, is the time to be, to be scared. And I, like, I'm a big fan of Warren, Warren Buffett. And I'm sure if you ever have heard me speak before, you probably heard me say this like 10 times. You probably heard other people say this 10 times. And I think there's a lot of truth to it. Like Warren Buffett says, you know, the time to be greedy is when other people are fearful. And the time to be fearful is when other people are greedy. And there's a lot of greed out there right now. So it just, it's a good time to be, to be wary about stuff. I've got just a couple minutes left uh, before my next appointment on, I, we've got another podcast after this and I mm. want to be mindful of that. Uh, we did get another question that came in. Chris Collins wanted to find out, you know, based on your answer that you just gave, um, you know, why should you have your investor list and then tell them not to invest now? Like, why are you building an investor list currently today? if you're not investing now. Um, and then he goes on to say, practically, do you worry about stringing investors along? And then he says, you know, because you just aren't yet having a property for them to invest in. So if you could kind of share your philosophy on what's going on with your investor list right now and how you're cultivating them. Sure. Well, first, hey, Chris. I know Chris. Um, I, uh, yeah, so listen, I, I tell people very frankly up front, like when they come through my, my process, right? I mean, I have them, I have people coming through my website and they make me fill out a form and then I get on the phone with them. And I say to them very frankly up front, this is where I am. Um, I'm not looking at deals currently. I will be in the future. Um, and if you'd like to join my platform so that you can invest with me in the future, that's great. If, if you really need to invest the money right now, for whatever reason, I have lots of friends in this business. I'm happy to make introductions to those guys. If you just have, if you have to, like, if you just, for whatever personal reason you have, you need to invest right now, happy to introduce you to 10 people that I know. Um, I don't feel I'm stringing them along. My, my worry more is that they're going to forget about me, right? Between now and whenever I get back into the market. So one of the things that I'm working on trying to figure out how to do is, kind of keep those people warm, you know, start reaching out to them again and just kind of touching base and saying, Hey, you know, this is just, here's an update, you know, that kind of thing. But there's, I don't feel like I'm stringing them along because there's lots of op other options out there if they want to invest right now. 
if they want to invest with somebody though who is very very cautious and and and, and who's you know looking to get into the market at the at the bottom again then like I'm a good option and I'm not really worried about because that's what they want to do right they don't want they don't want to invest now so they're willing to to be patient and wait um, in terms of like why am I building the list now and I'm not doing deals you, you got to dig your well before you need the water right if you if you if I were to wait until um, you know the correction whenever it happens it'd be too late I mean I'd miss it takes a long time to build it takes a long time to build a platform I've been working on this for a few years now and takes a long time to build a platform to get a group of investors together and if you if you were to start after the correction you would just miss the best opportunities so you got to get in ahead of time and people have asked me before like well, how do you like what's the how do you do that like you, people are hot for real estate now or in a few years if there's a correction they might be wary and like my advice there is yeah people are hot for real estate now there's a high level of interest so grab them while their attention is there but then sell them on the vision of what's what's to come right so that's how you bridge that gap you 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 say hey you think it's great now it's going to be even better in a couple of years when the assets are cheaper so you know and, and you got to be ready to move then you know so kind of like well i'm just at the risk of repeating myself you know grab them now while the retention's a hop and sell them on the on the future vision and then figure out some way to keep them warm in between Love it. Absolutely appreciate you. Really, the value that you're bringing to everybody listening, whether they're planning on being a passive investor uh, now or later, whether they are an operator that wants to learn how to really grow their business and get in front of the right investor and then cultivate that list so that they're staying in front of them. We've all gotten a ton of value. And we talked a little bit about and distinguishing yourself from uh, other coaches who they're your friends, they're my friends, you know, so obviously we're not bad mouthing anyone. But the real um, interesting thing is that, that there are coaches that charge 40 grand. I paid 40 grand myself to get into multifamily to a coach. And a lot of the people that go through that same group don't end up being successful. Um, so it's a, it's a lot of money if you're not going to do the business, frankly. So now, now we look at, you know, what you're doing that's a little bit different. And for less than 150 bucks a month, you can be part of your group coaching program. Would you mind telling us a little bit more about how your group coaching program works and what it involves? Yeah, so it's, uh, like you said, it's, co it's coaching done on a group basis. It's a, it's a private it's sort of got multiple pieces to it, but the, there's, it's a private community, which is hosted in, in a private Facebook group. Uh, what you get for being in that Facebook group is really the ability to ask me much more in-depth questions than I can answer in the free group. Um, we do a monthly content upgrade every month. So basically every month, uh, you know, in response to student questions, I'll put together like an hour long video, you know, answering that question. Or, or something that I'm seeing in the market or what have you. And then there's a monthly call. So we do a live call, you know, in addition to the daily Facebook group interaction, there's a live kind of coaching call that we do every month. And then in addition to you know, all of that, you get my whole program, which is, you know, currently, I'm actually working on a revision. Currently it's a eight module program. It's about 
gosh, I'm not sure, but it must be 20, 30 hours of video. I'm expanding it to an 11 module program. Uh, you know, it takes you through every single step of the process from like how you figure out a market to invest in through underwriting, due diligence, raising debt, raising equity, syndication, closing the deal, picking a manager, asset managing the property, scaling a business, just takes you through the whole, the whole step. And that's, that's just free if you join the program. Um, so, you know, I have a, an underwriting model in there and we've got like checklists. I mean, it's, it's like, it's trying to be as comprehensive as possible to answer every question that you might possibly have. The difference between th that, you know, so the reason it's cheap is because I'm doing this on a, on a more massive level. Like I'm not, I'm not handholding anybody. I'm not like coaching you through your deal. You know, I'm not, you're not bird dogging for me. Like, so it's a little bit different from a program where somebody's charging you a lot more money to be like a really personal intensive coach. And that's kind of the, you know, there's a, different styles work for different people. But what I want to do is, you know, create something that was low risk for people. You know, you, you go in, if you, if you join the program and you go through the material and like you're a month into it, and you're like, you know what, this really isn't for me. Like you've risked 150 bucks and, and you can just, and you're out and you can keep the underwriting model. You can keep all the checklists that you downloaded. Like all that stuff is yours to, to take away with you if, you if you want to use it. If you want to keep going, then like you've got my, You've got me there to answer any questions that you have, you know, for as long as you want to stay in the program. So, and again, like anytime you decide, okay, I've had enough, can't stand Jonathan's face anymore, you know, you're out and there's no, no questions asked. So I wanted to make it easier to get into, easier to get out of, and, and, and hopefully provide as much value as those guys who are charging, you know, 40K for coaching. But like I said, without the personal handholding part of it. Awesome. All right. So somebody's asking, I'm just tuning in. How do I get on the email list? Uh, so Mike Abramov, Abramov, Abramov uh, wants to know how to get on your email list. So Jonathan, how do you do, how do they do that? So the best way to get on the email list is I've got a free download. It's a called the ultimate checklist to, I should know the name of my own download, but it's, it's, the ultimate checklist to you know syndicating a deal. Basically, it's like a ten-page long checklist that shows you every single step that you have to do to syndicate a deal. It's yours for free if you want to download it, and it gets you onto my email list. And the place you can find that is uh, go to multifamilylaunchpad.org/ultimate-checklist. Right. So multifamilylaunchpad.org/ultimate-checklist. You can download that thing, and that'll put you right into my email list automatically. The other alternative is to go to my free Facebook group, which is the multifamily investment community. And you can join that. You can also get that same download in that group if you want it. Um, the only thing that you need to do to get into my Facebook group is agree not to spam the Facebook group. That's the only requirement to get in. So there's a little pop-up that comes in. Don't click it. Everyone, a lot of people I think are just such in the habit of batting away those pop-ups that, People try to join the group and they don't answer the question. I don't let you in if you don't answer the question. So make sure that you don't, you don't X out that, that pop-up before you answer the question. But just, just as long as you don't spam the group, you're free to join and I'm happy to get to know you. Awesome stuff. Um, so I'm, I actually just want to confirm that link with you after we get off and I'll make sure that it's in the Facebook and also in the show notes. Yeah. So let's, let's do that. Jonathan, I got a lot of value from you and, and I really appreciate you just opening up your uh, curtain and showing us really what makes your business successful. I, I learned a ton. I know that the listeners learned a ton. 
I'm going to let you go. But until next time, my friend, think outside the box. Thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jonathan. What's up, podcast listeners? I hope you're getting a ton of value from the episodes that we keep dropping daily all month of August as we promote the Raising Money Summit. I bet you anything you've already gotten your tickets. I assume you're coming and I cannot wait to see you there. I'm going to let you hear from a couple more of the speakers that are going to be on stage at this event right here, right now. Check them out and I'll see you on October 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Hi, I'm Kathy Fedke, co-CEO of Real Wealth Network, and we started raising money for syndications back in 2009, so I guess you could say it's my 10-year anniversary. Uh, We did some things very wrong in the beginning, and we are doing them very right today. Unfortunately, I'm seeing a lot of new syndicators make the mistakes that I made in the beginning, and, and mistakes that are way worse than I could ever have dreamed up. So I'm excited, so excited that this event is happening. Um, that I can come and teach people how to really build a business that will be there for the long term um, and that investors will just just be waiting in great anticipation for your next deal and have money set aside that they can't wait to send you. Hi, my name is Jeremy Roll. I'm a full-time passive cash flow investor. I have an MBA from the Wharton School and I'm also co-founder of Four Investors by Investors or FIBI. I'm very much looking forward to presenting at the Raising Money Summit in Denver. I'll be speaking on passive investing and the top 10 things you have to look out for in being a passive investor. If you're curious to be a passive investor and you're curious to learn more about things to avoid and what to really look for when you're looking for that type of investment, please come join me at the summit in October. Hey guys, my name is Alina Chagok. I'm going to be at Raising Money Summit talking about what questions to ask your investors, how to ask the right questions, and I'm going to help you learn how to ask those questions and do it much better. I'm really excited to be there and I hope to see you at Rising Money Summit. Thanks.